at some point when you're planning a startup, you have to take the leap and ask yourself, eh, what could happen? That's the focus of this podcast as we build a new business in real time. I'm Jen. And I'm Matt. Subscribe to this podcast to find out if we succeed or fail. Let's find out together what could happen. So I think it's probably a good place to start for this episode two to just a quick recap. If anybody hasn't listened to episode one, go ahead and stop this podcast and go back and listen to episode one because we get into some detail there. But just very quickly, this uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our uh, progress so far in trying to raise a $5 million fund to um, invest in seed stage companies in the health tech kind of marketplace not FDA, not wet lab, not trials type stuff, but just health technology in Birmingham, Alabama. Now the companies may be from wherever, but we're based in Birmingham, Alabama. So what's interesting about that, a couple of things. One is, you know, we're raising a fund for the first time. That's not what we do, but we think we have a pretty good chance at doing it. And so we wanted to walk you through each week what we're doing, what we've progressed towards, what's happened, what feedback we've gotten, so on and so forth. So that kind of brings us up to, to date to this week in where we are. So um, Jen's been gone all week. She was out at a really cool inbound marketing conference. And so I used the time to go and have lots and lots of conversations. Just to get through that a little bit, I have had now eight meetings in 10 days. Holy smokes. Yeah. Maybe I should go to more conferences. Yeah, maybe. Uh, It was super productive from that perspective. Um, And the eight different people I talked to were a pretty wide variety, but a lot of them, all of them, play some sort of role or in the space of of private placement investing in kind of the startup um, and entrepreneurial environments. So knowing their feedback would be good. And, and basically I went in with the, with the concept of, hey, first of all, tell me I'm nuts, that this is a terrible idea so I can save myself a lot of time, energy, effort, et cetera. And then seeking feedback from each of them kind of based on their specific background and so on and so forth. So it was really interesting. Some of the general consensus of the, the uh, feedback was that I'm basically going to be seen kind of as a an outsider. And what I mean by that is this is a really small investment community from the standpoint of serial investments of so people who invest all the time or get involved in funds or people who have funds that are getting limited partners or LPs involved. That's a, that's a pretty small group here. And so me not being one of those folks historically, I'm going to be viewed a little bit as an outsider. And when I first got that, I was kind of bummed to be honest with you because you know i see this fund as something brand new that nobody else has done and so i think all of the people involved to some degree are going to be fairly new to it Um, but the more i I really dug in and asked questions about that the more i got a feeling for what that really meant and as as an opportunity or an obstacle to to kind of overcome so that was one of the things that I got, and I got that pretty consistently, which is you know a bit of an unknown quantity, a bit of a, a variable there uh, that most people would have to kind of wrestle with. The other thing too is that just not having um, a tr- uh, an individual track record of having big exits from some big software company and then plowing that back into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. 
And those are folks around town that have done that. And when they go out and seek individual investment for their particular uh, new startup or what have you, you know, they have people lining up to give them money. And that makes sense, right? Because they have a track record. They've shown that they can do some really great things with those investment dollars. And so when they go back and say, hey, I've got this concept, it's similar to the last one, except we're doing X, Y, and Z. And oh, by the way, I want you know $1.5 million from you for 20% of the company. They're going to get traction with that, you know, fairly quickly. So I don't have that track record. So that's another thing that we're kind of playing, you know, for lack of a better term, playing from behind on. I don't know. I, I think that can go both ways. I think it also shows why there's an opportunity in the marketplace because it is insular. So part of what you're going to be doing is trying to crack that nut and get involved with those people, um, high net worth individuals. But I also think it shows what an opportunity there is for people who might be interested in investing, who might be smaller players, to get involved. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and I'll get back to some of the feedback that I thought was, uh, or some of the opportunities or feedback that was more kind of opportunity-based and, and ways that we can go forward. The last piece that I got pretty, um, pretty consistently, and this was funny because nobody wanted to say this outright because they understand that you know, with the fund that we're raising and the management fees that we're going to be charging, it's not a huge money maker. Like nobody's going to get rich off of running this fund um, because, you know, 2% on $5 million really just translates into 100 grand. And once you start doing deal flow and having to get on planes and doing a bunch of the work and having, you know, office space to rent and all of that stuff, nobody's making a ton of money off of that off those management fees. So people are really being very nice when they kind of intimate this, but, um, but basically what they get to is, you know, I'm not putting a big um, amount of my own personal capital into the investment as an LP. And there's just practical reasons for that. And the practical reason is, is that I'm gonna plow a ton of money into just getting this thing off the ground and trying to get it funded. And that's really gonna exhaust whatever, you know, investable capital I would have had in the first place. And people have been kind of understanding and nice about it, but that's an undertone of it, right? People like to see that. They like to see people participating in their own funds or at least having that as one of the, the facets. So that was something that we that the feedback came back, you know, fairly consistently. And, and I don't think I was surprised by any of it, maybe the outsider part of it a little bit more, um, but considering the market that we're in, considering the current conditions and considering the, the community of investment, I guess, you know, in hindsight, that's really not surprising at all. Hmm. So that was some of the things. But on the counter side, I had conversations with some folks that, uh, you know, helped me identify some, some opportunities that I'm actually pretty excited about. And one of the biggest ones was that this fund potentially could be very different from the aspect of, as we've talked about on the first podcast, you know, this being a guided investment fund. So the idea that we would be working with the companies we invest in on a very active basis. Um, and there's, there's other shops in town that do that. Fenwick Brands is really good about that on the C, in the CPG space. Um, they are very active in helping and mentoring and, and connecting people and doing those kinds of things. And similarly, that's how I'm viewing this potential fund in the future as being kind of that guided investment piece of it. 
And that really appealed to a number of folks that I spoke to because they said, well, that's, that's different, right? A lot of funds are run, set up, operated by people with you know, very strong financial backgrounds, investment backgrounds, but they may or may not actually be operators themselves. Yeah, that's basically a trade when you think about it. Right. That's not related to general management skills. That's exactly right. And so you could be an incredibly gifted financial um, whiz um, and not actually have the experience of how to build a business, right? You may have gotten that institutionally, you may have picked that up um, as an investor, um, but actually running a business, obviously those skill sets are kind of unique. And so that that's a big advantage. So people, I think in general, which dovetails to the next point, which is, and this was, I was very flattered to hear this, but to a person, um, to people who I, I really admire and take their opinion seriously, they all to a person were, were talking about the fact that myself and Red Hawk in general just has a really strong reputation uh, in the community for you know, getting involved, not just the work that we do um, professionally, but also how we get involved in the community and some of the things that we do you know, philanthropically and other things. And, and they all felt that that was a really important piece of it as well. So the reputation, not just professionally, but also in the community, and the ability to act as an act, think, you know, manage as an operator uh, were considered uh, pretty big advantages. And the third one, and this is probably the most important one, was that there is a genuine palpable energy around the health tech space and the concept of finding companies, specifically finding companies from outside of Birmingham uh, to potentially invest in in that space. And what was neat about it was when I was explaining why health tech and not general technology or app development or you know the next dating site or whatever the case may be, you know when I was explaining we have these huge customers and we have uh, you know just here in Birmingham uh, for that type of technology, but also we can pre. Um, sell almost some of these concepts, see what these big hospitals, these big health systems need or want, um, and then go find companies that are building that. So we're kind of de-risking some of the things there. And then our ability to have people on advisory boards or even as mentors and LPs that are in that space, whether they're practitioners or administrators. When I explained it to people, it was almost intuitive. It was like, got it, makes sense. And I, I felt like when I was explaining it, that was the easiest part of the whole explanation. People had questions about what, what stage would the company be in? What kind of investments would you like to make? Like, how does that structure work? And of course, some of that, just very transparently and honestly with them at this point, this is still kind of concept proving stage. We don't know all the answers to that. But what we do know is that we want to be in that space. And that part of it was really intuitive. People just got it. It was almost like I clicked my fingers and people were like, yep, totally it's, makes sense. It's one of those things that you're surprised doesn't already exist in this town. Yeah, and, and, and I wanna be clear. I mean, I think that there has been uh, some really uh, decent uh, amount of investment in kind of growth capital. And for people listening to this podcast that aren't you know, into kind of the investment space or the private placement space, you know, growth capital is usually invested when somebody's already has a product, they have customers, they're doing well, but they really wanna ramp up their growth. And in order to do that, they need capital to hire you know, full-time salespeople, um, real marketing strategy, branding, you know, reach, all of those things that you'd have to do to really kind of light a fire under a company. That's where that growth capital comes in. And what's different about this and what people haven't done is we're talking about doing it much, much earlier. 
So we're talking about doing it, you know, ideally, and I always say ideally because this is, you know, may or may not work out this way, but ideally you get somebody who's already created the kind of their minimally viable product or MVP as we always call it, to kind of show this is what it looks like. They're pre-revenue, but they've got some people who've already told them, hey, we're potential customers in the future. So we wanna get them right at that stage where we can possibly put, you know, a couple few hundred thousand dollars to work where it really is going to make a huge impact and then couple with that that guided investment or that guided um, piece of it where we're, we're taking an active role to help them build that company that's where I think some of that you know quote-unquote magic happens at that stage so that's new that's not happening here at any kind of scale well <clears throat> okay so what are the next things we need to do you've been talking to people and you've been gathering research when do i get to go out and find companies yeah that would be fun um and i would love to be at that stage already but you know we still have some of the grunt work that we have to do so part of it is really kind of um documenting codifying however you want to uh, phrase it the business itself so here's what it looks like here's here are potentially people involved in it here are the things that we have uh in front of us um, as far as the, the the broad strokes of it so it starts being a little less nebulous um, you know things that included in, in that would be uh, investment thesis so an investment thesis is a fancy way of saying who are we going to invest in why are we investing in them what do we hope to get out of it how will that work where will we add value outside of just the money and how will we create maximum return on that investment. Are there templates for this sort of thing? Can there you? are, there yeah. are. Um, what was interesting is some of the feedback that I got was I was really thinking really hard about, well, what, was, what will our pitch deck look like, right? Which that's a little cart before the horse to say the least. But I was really kind of obsessing about it. I'm like, man, it's got to be really good, and like I want want it to be awesome. And I, you know, there's only certain things that I can do there. And man, how do we do this and all that stuff? And then I talked to a really successful fund, and they go, you know, we we probably talked to 50 potential LPs. We got you know uh, two dozen of them to come on board. He, he said, I I think we might have provided six pitch decks total. And I said, really? I said, you didn't huh. even use the pitch deck presenting? He goes, no, we really didn't. And we he goes, talked. yeah. I said, they just, they were partners. They were strategic partners. And the pitch deck was just basically repeating what we were having the conversations about. And so he goes, part of that, I think, was it was a compelling message. And part of it was we were talking to the right people. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I don't know we'll be in that situation. But anyway, we'll need to have that investment thesis. One of the pieces of advice that we got that I thought was awesome was finding some example companies. So going into Crunchbase, finding these companies, and we won't know very much about them, but to give people an idea of the types of companies that we would want to look at in this kind of nebulous health tech space, yep. to be able to show them, hey, here's these guys, they're out of St. Louis, they do this, this is what's important, this is the problem they're solving, this is why the problem matters to solve, kind of the stuff that you would normally walk through if you were looking at an investment, like how big is the problem, how you know lucrative yep. is the problem to solve. Market you know, sizing. Exactly, right. You have TAM and then the serviceable addressable market, the total addressable market, all of that kind of geeked out stuff. Yeah, I mean, if I put it in there right now, I mean, I looked at this, like I said, you know, this isn't something that you know I just decided to do two weeks ago. You know, when I looked at it about 10 months ago and I looked in Crunchbase, in just that kind of the health sector, there were over 6,000 companies listed in Crunchbase. And remember that there's a 
good probability that less than 20% of all the companies out there in any one space are actually on Crunchbase. So it's massive. I mean, the companies that are out there. So part of it is going to be deal sourcing. Part of it is going to be, you know, coming up with those, um, those things, but they're out there. So that's one opportunity that I'm probably going to look at pretty hard. Um, start considering some of the branding. I, I, I would love to jump to branding now. Again, I realize it's cart before the horse, but it's super cool. It's a lot of fun. And I think it's also for people in general, it's kind of a, um, it's something they get excited about, put their name around and, and, you know, I think, so it matters. So at least when you start thinking about it. And then we just have to keep having more conversations um, to, to show the example or to give an example of how incredibly important those conversations are. I had one conversation with somebody and I came out with basically gave me three avenues to make this thing actually happen. And that's what I want to leave with, uh, leave the podcast on today is three, three potential avenues for making this, this happen. One is we can go and get dozens of small investors, right? Small LPs that want to put in 50,000, 100,000, $200,000. And we cobble together a fund of 5 million. That's not terribly attractive because it's really, really cost prohibitive to do that. It takes forever and the management of that many LPs for such a small fund is not a great way to use our time uh, when we're trying to do all this stuff kind of on a shoestring. Mm -hmm. We'll be doing a ton of investor relations stuff just because of the number of it for you know low dollars invested. So that's, that's one opportunity. You would basically have to increase the percentage of the fund that goes towards managing the fund. Yeah, and that's and that's a terrible way of using that capital. I mean, right. we, we don't want to go above a 2% management fee. We just don't. And, and even at 2%, I'm not particularly happy about it, but we got to have a fund that, uh, or we got to have funding to actually make the thing run. So um, the second one was find a lead investor, right? Somebody who's very credible, somebody who, if they said, yes, I'm investing, and yes, you can tell people that I'm investing, not in a public way, but in a one-on-one -on -one conversations then people start following that lead, right? And that is, I have seen that happen here in town at least a half a dozen times where people are struggling to raise money, they get that one really credible lead investor and then the rest of the investors find them and they, they end up participating. So we've seen that, that's a playbook that actually works and we've seen that. But here's the one, and here's the one that was really interesting and I hadn't thought of this and this was a fantastic piece of advice. There are people in town that would love to be involved that fit all of those criteria that don't make that make them an insider because we talked about being an outsider. Yep. That want to potentially be a managing partner, kind of a name only. And what I mean by that is they want to be involved, but they want to kind of pick their spots where they're going to be involved. They don't really want to do all the work, right? Well, I'm already ready and willing and able, I think, to do all that work. So the third option is finding somebody who wants to lend their name to it for credibility as a managing partner, but doesn't really want to do all the work and wants to kind of pick their spots in the two or three things that they're really passionate about in, in, in getting involved in running of the fund and then leaving the work kind of to the rest of us. So like so, a silent MP. Yes. Yeah. So somebody who, who wanted to get involved but didn't want to do the day-to-day, -day, didn't want to do all the deal flow, doesn't want to get on planes. An executive producer. Kind of. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's a big part of, I think that's a, a huge opportunity. And to be honest with you, I think that one might be the most appealing to me right now because there's another benefit there, which is you know, don't forget if that, that MP who's got that credibility has got credibility for a reason, they've been successful, right? They've done some things that matter. So what an incredible advantage for the fund of having that.
Do you have uh, somebody person. in mind for that role? I do. I'm certainly not going to say it on the on the podcast, but I think I think in all honesty, I think there's about a dozen of those folks here in town. Yeah. Um, that that would fit that profile that might want to be interested. And the other thing too is it may not be one. It may be two or three. Yeah. That want to get involved, and and if that's the case. Um, I'd love to have those conversations with folks because, I, I, like I said, I, I am willing to do the grunt work, and I think it's a huge advantage for the fund to have somebody or some bodies uh, involved that have that background and that experience. Cool. So, still in the trenches, still got a lot of grunt work to do. We're still We're having those conversations. We're not in the trenches. We are on the floor. We are both literally and figuratively. I think um, for those of you who could see us right now, you'd probably laugh, but uh, you know, sound quality matters. <laughs> so we're taking steps to make sure that this podcast is listenable. So um, yeah, so that's kind of where we are this week. Um, you know, we're going to keep keep everybody updated. Some weeks are going to be more exciting than others, but you know, the takeaway here is that we got a lot of great advice. I'm blown away by people's uh, graciousness with their time um, and their feedback and their willingness to to help me talk with others that they think need to hear this and need and would have some advice input. Etc. No one's offered to write us a five million dollar check yet. Um, if that happens, this is going to be the world's shortest podcast series, um, <laughs> but it'll be a triumphant one. Uh, so next week we're going to talk a little bit more about the progress that we've made and some of the things that we've come up with. We might even um, bounce around some ideas on some naming stuff, both for the for the fund as well as for the the new entity's name. So tune in for that. Thanks for listening. See you later. Have a great weekend. Bye.